This is a fourth hand production. Story in the news today. You believe in ghosts and the paranormal? Or are they like some crazy experimental, you know, governmental I don't know, know. planes that they're building? Police in Española are catching more than just criminals. They're catching images of what they believe are ghosts. There's this weird animal-like creature that was shot, wolf-like creature that just stood out in some odd ways. Welcome to Strange Uncles. I am Shane, and I'm John. Oh, I'm 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 Josh. <laughs> yes, yes. Today you are yet again. At least today, maybe, maybe. not tomorrow. Uh, for the next like hour or so, probably. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! Yeah, this week. Holy God, guys. Uh is it holidays yet? Is it the New Year's yet? Yeah, it's. Oh yeah, been absolutely upside down. Um, yeah, so welcome everybody to Strange Uncles. Welcome to this episode. Uh, I do want to mention, actually, we want to mention, um, that we were lucky enough. Was it Tuesday, I think, right? We had the, we had the sometime this week. (laughs) I know all the days blended together. I mean, you know, it's crappy when you think it's Friday and it's Wednesday. Oh, that's no good. Oh, it just sets you all ablaze, to be honest with you. So, anyway, we, um, Tuesday. We had a Strangers Around the Table, and we had, which is specifically for Patreon. So for those of you who want to join something like that, you can. If you join uh, www.patreon.com uh, slash strangeuncles, and you can become a member. But uh, what we try to do once every couple months or so is do a Strangers Around the Table. And we did this one, and it was actually a really cool success. So we just want to say thank you to all the Patreon members that joined, um, and thank you again to the weird nephews, uh, Alex and Larry, for getting on there too. Um, I, I don't know. I, I had a blast. I don't know what you guys said about the whole thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was great. I love where the conversation went, and everybody had a lot of cool shit to add, and it was just a lot of fun getting drunk and talking to like-minded individuals about you know what we all think is interesting and cool. And the conversation kind of went everywhere from slightly political to ghosts yeah. and extra dimensional shit. So yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was yeah. glad cool. that it only got slightly political because <laughs> there's we're inundated with that. So let's you know, uh, UFOs are way fun. Yeah, keep way it, funner. Keep it at the envelope. Well, and the cool thing too, I thought was, um, you know, like we recorded it. We're for the Patreon members, by the way. For those of you who did not join the roundtable, uh, it will be on Patreon, so you can kind of recap. Listen to your other Patreon members, what we talked about, what was going on. That's kind of an exclusive thing we're doing. But, you know, honestly, it went a little over two hours, and and I didn't even really know. Other than having to use the bathroom, I wasn't paying attention to the time. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, I think it was like me, like, really, like, all of a sudden having to go pee really bad. I'm like, (laughs) holy shit, this has been two hours. Like, I need to eat dinner and take the longest piss of my life. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, I was like, do I want to have everyone hold on for a minute? And I'll come right back. I was like, it's probably time to go. I threw it on your side. I made you the host. I was like, I'm out of here. I can't do this anymore. And when I came back, (laughs) it was done. I was like, okay, cool. Everybody made their their choice up. 
But yeah, yeah, again, thanks to everyone that joined us. That was super fun. I had a great time anyway. Yep, yeah, absolutely. And Ian, thank you. So one thing that we do do, which I want to bring up real quick, um, you know, of course we read a lot of books on our side. We do book reviews on Patreon. We do bonus episodes on Patreon. Um, one of the Patreon members, uh, Ian, actually, uh, I snagged a book from him and I got it on order. So, you know, he pays attention to what we kind of recommend and say, hey, this was a really cool book and we do a review. Uh, the road goes both ways. So um, uh, that actually is coming Saturday, I think, that when he was talking. And, John, I don't know. I think you looked it up, too, on your side, didn't you? Yeah, I ordered it, like, while we were talking. Um, and, I, oh, man, I am I was drinking some was, booze, so I can't remember <laughs> quite the title. I, need I was going to gonna say it. refresh my memory, but it sounds like I'm not the only one that needs that. Yeah, um, it's something about how the occult saved rock and roll. I, oh, I yeah. My, yeah. I need to look at my cart because – yeah, I think he was. T- I ordered it, saying something about like a supernatural battle between David Bowie and fucking Jimmy Page or some shit too. Yeah, because Jimmy Page was deep into that stuff too. Um, it is called. Bear with me, real quick. I want to find it before you. Oh no, you're not. No, you're not. It's a race. Season of the Witch. Yes. God damn it. How the cult save rock and roll. So, Ian, thank you very much. Mitchell, thank you very much for being on there too. You're from Canada. You had nothing better to do but join our conversation. So glad you could. Um, speaking of books, by the way, I'm in the middle one that we'll do a review on when I'm done, but, uh, I'm loving it. And actually it's called the identified unidentified, sorry, mythical monsters, alien encounters, and our obsession with the unexplained. Um, and I've seen this other book, the guy wrote, uh, the authors by the name of Colin Dickey, which I find funny, but whatever. Yeah. Um, and he actually wrote another book called Ghostland, and I've seen Ghostland before in bookstores haven't picked it up, but I saw this one and I picked it up. And it's really kind of neat because he does delve into kind of the psych, I guess the psychosis behind everything, you know, how we view it as far as, you know, mankind and throughout history. And then every other chapter or so, he actually throws in a story or a myth or something. And I'll be honest with you, there's a couple of them that I've never heard of. And that's surprising because, you know, usually we know all the little, you know, cryptids and UFO stories and everything out there. There's been a few in this book that I'm like, I, I don't know where that even comes from. That's amazing. So anyway, really good book called The Unidentified. So, you know, you guys really should pick it up. But uh, do you guys have anything you have on your side or should we jump into the uh, nitty gritty? Uh, you know what? I, I did have something, but I forgot. So I think we should just dive into what we're going to do tonight. Dive into the nitty gritty. Okay. Well, Mm -hmm. speaking of unidentified, we actually have been kicking around a subject for a while. uh, And actually, John ordered a few books. We each took one. We read it. We researched them. Kind of went back and forth. And and I'll just say thank you, John and Josh, for doing this one because work has been crazy for me. Um, You two put in some mass work and great notes, and uh, and thanks for that. Um, But we have been kicking around a topic that we want to talk about for a while. That, that we've always been curious about, and that is just what happens if you disappear and or fake your own death. And I, I think, remind me, I think we started talking about the fake your own death before it went into, hey, how do we disappear or how do you yeah. kind of relate Yeah, well, stuff? I think that was, um, we said fake your own death before we really knew too much about the topic. Yeah. Say. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we started researching how to fake your own death and abscond away to a better life and it turned into uh probably don't do that maybe just like try and like clean up your digital footprint and move to another place right right try and dip out 
Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, All right, and that's yeah. the episode. Uh, good night, everybody. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Actually, some enjoyed it. <laughs> Don't fake your own death. Disappear. Uh, yeah, yeah. Follow us at Strange Uncles. I'm just kidding. I will. I will say I wanted some of this to be a little bit more exotic than it was, and then come to find out that's not the case. But <laughs> yeah, it's all <laughs> it's know. all like super tedious. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah. Kind and of once a bummer. Get, once you get down to the details and like really how to do all this shit, it's like very real life. You know, like it's very realistic. There's no fantasy. It's, you know, it's, it's very rigid. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so let's set this up a bit and we're going to roll into it. So, uh, here's our, I guess our campaign model, whatever have you. Um, you know, we're pretty sure that this year, and in fact, I know I am more than anybody, uh, more than any other year, most of us just wanted to disappear. 2020 has been a shit show completely through, and I'm sure we all agree to that. Uh, so, you know, what's the problem? You throw caution in the wind, and you say, hey, we want to find a new place, new identity, help us all find a zen where things aren't quite as upside down. Now, that's kind of, I know that crossed my mind more than once this year, if not like at least in the double digits, or even more extreme past that, another country. You know, maybe even a private island where no one can fuck with you because, well, let's face it, fuck people, you know, and there's that as well. So we thought it would be fun to dive down the rabbit hole of that very subject. What if you do want to disappear? What's a process one has to do to just blink away where no one can find you? Or is that going too far? Or even simple as in, hey, maybe you just got to clean up your footprint a bit so you can at least have some resemblance of privacy and get rid of all that digital baggage that you had in the background. Um, and that's something that surprised me when we studied this because I did not realize as much as you know Big Brother's watching you, I didn't know to what extent. So with that being said, we'll find out all of this. Um, it's harder to do nowadays than it was, say, 20 years ago. And there's a couple books that we actually researched that – they kind of go back. There's not a lot of digital in there, a lot of technology. Um, so we'll cover kind of both sides. But if you ever wanted to learn this science, listen to what we have to share with you, what we discovered on this thing. And needless to say, you know, it's not really, as John and Josh said, it's not as glamorous as it really sounds. So tune in as we talk about the how, the why, and the after effects all this may have. Folks, we give you how to disappear. Open the gates. She disappeared. I'm Wanda, and I don't officially exist anymore. Oh, wow, they just, they really just vanish. That's rude. This man disappeared over a decade ago. Then his wife recognized a face a thousand miles from their home. Got some groovy old spy music going on there. I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> Sexy. That's rude. <laughs> that Spanish. That's rude. <laughs> anyway, I am going to let you guys unpack this a bit, and yeah, let's uh, let's fucking have this chat. All right, uh, let's get into some of the background and talk about how, like you mentioned in up top, how uh, things have changed. Technology has made it easier and harder to uh, get away from it all. If you want to. Uh, one of the books we read for research was called uh, How to Disappear and, or sorry, How to Disappear Completely and Never Be Found. And that was by Doug Richmond. Um, and it was published in 1986. So all of his research was done in like the late 70s, early 80s. He, he was like a boat journalist, I guess is I, the best way to put yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, so. He, 
he his main job was like I think he was a photojournalist that worked for like boating magazines because he talks about boats non fucking stop. <laughs> but um, he does in the book, yeah. <laughs> the and fuck? he talks about like going to like somewhere for this conference or or for an uh, on assignment for Boaters Magazine and like all this. Dude, just this book's dr- a trip. It's bo- like a hundred pages. Boat people. Uh, I want to recommend reading it, but also like put your fucking 1986 male chauvinist pig glasses on before you do. Cause this dude's a fucking asshole. Oh, really? <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. But he um, is into boats. <laughs> I think that might be part of why he's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, like for, as a hobby, he was just super interested in, uh, what he calls disappearies and the vanished, like people who've just said, fuck it and walked out on their lives and, are now living as someone else somewhere else, like, you know, men of mystery and stuff. So, uh, so Doug advocates assuming someone else's identity, preferably someone with a similar background to yours for work, uh, reasons or someone who has a background that you like for changing your whole life reasons. Right. So, so if you're pretty well educated and, and you're, and you don't want to change fields, he recommends, you know, uh, finding an identity to assume of someone who has similar qualifications so you can continue working in that field um, Mm -hmm. by using their credentials. Um, But he also says, like, say you've always wanted to be something else, uh, pick someone else's, someone pick an identity that has maybe some of those credentials. And then here's the important part. Go back to school once you've set yourself up in your new life and learn it. Uh, Of course. He says, yeah. Like, don't try to pass yourself off as a doctor if you're not one, because that's going to get messy real quick. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's okay. Um, so he also advocate advocates what uh, people in the industry refer to as cemetery searches, uh, where you would look up the identity of someone who was born around the same time you were um, and who preferably died pretty early or had a... Actually, let me backtrack on that. Um, he doesn't recommend that you find someone who died young. He recommends that you find someone who has the background that you wanted to, that you want. Like, uh, like I mentioned, um, cause back in the eighties, uh, birth records weren't really tied to death records the way they are now. So like if you didn't weren't, if you didn't grow up and die in the same place you were born in, then there's a good chance that like no one from your hometown knows you ever died. <laughs> Right. Oh, Besides, yeah. like maybe close friend and family. My, my mm-hmm. dad is that scenario where he was born in the same town that he died in. Yeah. And there was another blurb, I think that on the book that I read while you're on that subject talking about, yeah. don't do, what was it? It was, um, don't take newborns, you know, like if a toddler oh, dies yeah. or, you know, something to that point. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that for oh, sure. Okay. Okay. Um, so he also advocates like ditching your car and like anything that ties you to your old life. Uh, he's like, that's the easiest way to be found. Um, a lot of what he advocates for is, is now very out of date. Uh, like I said, his book was researched and written before the digital revolution, uh, where if an agency or company used computers to process information at all, uh, they weren't tied into vast networks and databases and stuff like that. So like if you went to apply for a job, very likely that that, company's hr department doesn't isn't going to be able to pull up records about you or about anybody really that mm. that aren't like in file cabinets in the basement right mm-hmm. right um 
So uh, he also would recommend that you get like you would further document your assumed identity, uh, like getting a social security number, um, getting a passport, getting a driver's license, all in the name of, of whatever identity you assumed. Um, and I guess back then, um, you could like realistically walk into a, into the social security office and say, Hey, just need to register my social security number. I've been in prison, never got around to it. Or like I grew up in Canada or like, uh, I grew up in a rural area or something, but like, I know the first thing I did, my dad did on my first. 15th birthday was take me to get my social security card so yeah uh that's pretty out of date I think. And, and and it's worse now because it was like one of those things where it damn near when logan when my son was born like i had a window where he, before he was i think 10 i had to go get a social security card for him and yeah I, you know i think i had a social security card uh since i was like a small child i've yeah. since lost that uh, <laughs> yeah nice. right but uh i mean i technically have a number my favorite part is that like it's illegal to laminate your social security card oh but you're supposed God, to keep it thank on you. you thank you so fucking much i'm glad you said that and due yeah, to the military you know i, I know did. my social security <laughs> throughout like i don't know if you guys know your verbatim but i know my social security card backwards and forwards my number thank oh, yeah, you I definitely military. know my i know my number um I definitely don't use it as part of a password at all. Ever. Well, I didn't think you were supposed to keep it on you, actually. Uh, because I kept it yeah. on me, and I fucking lost my wallet. That might have been a 90s thing, where like when I was in high school applying for jobs all the time and stuff, I just needed it handy. Yeah. Is it a so 90s maybe, thing? Because I still have mine in my wallet. Ew. Yeah, you I don't think, think you're supposed that, to. Shane? You know, mm. I have a confession to make. Um, <laughs> so... Let me how I, the taxi cab. How I lost how I lost my uh, social security card is I worked for I worked for this company called Overstock at their warehouse, and I think I was like twenty years old or something. And I would I, the only transportation I had was rollerblades, so I would rollerblade oh, to work, and it was it was probably five or so miles. Dude, and, and that's over some rough terrain. You don't tell yeah, people that out loud. So, oh, like, fuck yeah. I rollerbladed from downtown Salt Lake to that that warehouse at like five thirty in the were morning. You, were you just morning. like fucking blading up California <laughs> Avenue? Yeah, dude. I was <laughs> shredding. I was shredding up California, and all of a sudden, I get I I get to work, and we have to go through like metal detectors and everything. And as I'm taking out all my shit my wallet is just not there and uh, my social security was in there and I've never had a social security card since then. That was at least 15 years ago. And you still, you haven't replaced it. No, I've never needed to. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, my name got is the number memorized. <laughs> my I name know is the John number. Finnegan. I put my um, number on it. Like I've never been like, fuck, what is it? Like uh, that's one of the me- numbers I'll always remember. Just like Greg Winston's phone number or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, I do remember also that like when you would get a new job, they'd make like photocopies of your social security number or yeah. social security card for some reason, which mm. I mean, yeah, I no job I've ever had. Is, they're, they're happy with the number. So yeah. But yeah. anyway, lucky you. I just uh, thought I'd share that tantalizing tidbit. John, well, if I, if I never get you and rollerblades out of my fucking third eye again, 
then it'll be fucking badass rollerblader (laughs) i'm assuming it was summertime so i'm i'm opting for short shorts in that picturing right i feel like it was kind of cold i think it was early spring oh was it as you rollerblade your hairs in the breeze and you're like girls wear what boys want you're singing the song (laughs) and you're just fucking doing your thing so goddamn so, but yeah, speaking of social security numbers, if you walked into a social security office now at like 35 or 40 or something and we're like, Hey, I need a social security number. I was never given one. Uh, I think you'd get caught pretty quick. Not yeah. going to fly. Yeah. Definitely um, be throwing some red flags. Yeah, for sure. And also in the eighties, uh, Richmond says that most missing pe- person bureaus, uh, were basically designed to keep frantic live frantic loved ones from bothering desk sergeants at the police department, you know? Um, and that basically they were just there to track down runaway teens and tell people to like, shut the fuck up. Oh, nice. Hmm. Lovely. So, okay. So you could get, a, you, you could get away with a little bit more before everything was so painstakingly documented digitally. Yeah. Yes. But you definitely still, even in the eighties, you would still have to be committed to the task. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Uh, a lot of um, we'll get to it in a little bit, but a lot of like a lot of this stuff is outdated, but a lot of like the technic the mechanics of it mm-hmm. are still the same, like drop boxes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so in 2010s, how to disappear, erase your digital footprint, leave false trails and vanish without a trace. Uh, skip tracer. Frank Ahern says that assuming a new identity is incredibly risky, uh, that cemetery searches and assuming a dead person's identity are mm. definitely to be avoided these days. Um, Cause it's kind of illegal. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> and uh, like, he's like, what if they had a shitload of debt? What if you assume someone's identity with a criminal history? That'd be yeah, what if uh, that guy, what if he was a pedophile, he or she was a pedophile. Right. It, you know, and especially with like things that come to light of with from people after they've died uh, mm-hmm. these days, it's, it's not a, not a good idea. And I also, think so. Oh, sorry. Uh, oh, I was I, just going to say also uh, birth records are now tied to death records, whether you live and die in the same place you grew up or not. Gotcha. Inter- Noted. Interesting. Like and that also I was going to say that a lot of people want to disappear or fake their own death because of debt debt is like a big uh reason why people can even just remotely consider it Mm -hmm. and if you assume someone's identity uh some deceased person's identity and you don't do your homework or something uh that that person may all of a sudden leave you a quarter million dollars in debt or you know like you've tried to leave your own debt and now you just find yourself in all this fucking other debt. Exactly. Again. Well, yeah, well, you're, you're in the same spot, but now you got this dead dude's debt. Yeah. And, uh, honestly, like I, we're going to get into like the mechanics of, of getting the fuck out a little bit further in, but, um, it's expensive. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, we're talking a couple thousand, not a couple, we're talking probably tens of thousands of dollars to successfully, make yourself disappear yeah and if you've got that kind of money you could probably get your debt or your credit right you know what i mean Mm -hmm. well and and so So, oh so go ahead oh um i was just gonna say so talking about frank ahern he is a skip tracer and he's a professional and i think after this we should probably go into a little bit of what skip tracer what skip tracing means what skip tracers are uh yeah we could just do that right now but um, I, i want to uh going off of like how much it costs to like, Oh, gotcha. Going 
how much it costs, like maybe let's have Frank Ahern to disappear you, you know, uh, he estimates that from 2001 to 2012, he helped around 50 people disappear, charging up to $30,000 per case for his services. Oof. Yeah. So um, more than and that's the, his fee. That's, that's, that's not everything fee. else that they right. need to procure. Yeah. I mean, you basically need money for retirement. You know what I mean? Like, so, because, and you don't necessarily, you can always find another job, but that job can't be like anything that you can trace. Like if you were a lawyer in a previous life, you can't go be a lawyer and get past the bar in some other state because then they'll be able to, it's just another way to track you down. You could possibly be a paralegal and, you know, not have anything about you and you're still in the same realm with that same education or whatever and still making a living. Uh, but he says that more, more than half of his clients are men um, who he charged full freight to help, um, to help underwrite his female clients. Um, he says men come to him with money problems. They'd like come into money or lost it all. And his female clients mostly had violence problems like stalkers yeah, right. or abusive husbands. Right. And, this is kind of cool about Frank Ahern is if a woman was fleeing a dangerous situation, he did, he did it pro bono. Yeah. yeah I caught that when I read uh, that. I like that was cool. he, he comes off as a little bit sleazy, especially if you read like his, his book uh, where he writes it in his own words and talks about uh, what skip tracing is in his own words. Yeah. I heard he's not a very eloquent writer. No. No, no, nah, no. <laughs> uh, he, you can hear the like fucking Brooklyn accent. Like literally coming through the pages yeah. is actually crazy. And, and he's, yeah. he's way too fucking proud of his goatee and ponytail. And yeah, I just picture him I mean, looking like Ringo star, honestly. Yeah. I mean, he is a scumbag, but he's a scumbag with a heart. Yeah. He, yeah. uh, yeah. He talks a lot about like being paid to like find celebrities, phone numbers and addresses and stuff. But he always like is adamant about how he wouldn't, find that stuff for people who he thought were up to no good. Right. And, uh, he definitely has a conscience. Yeah. But like he still he, has a ponytail and a goatee. Yeah. He, it, but he did talk about like, you know, if, if someone's in trouble, I just help him. You know? Yeah. So let's yeah, go back to this. He's not a bad dude. Let's go back to this a bit. Yeah. And yeah, actually I, so the book that I read was, was his book and, and yeah, he's very, like I said, you could it screw Brooklyn screams off the pages. This is ridiculous. But when you I think he's about, actually from New Jersey, but Oh, Same well, thing. Yeah, tomato, we'll, tomato. We'll, yeah. Tomato, we'll not tomato. make him uh, claim bridge and tunnel tonight. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. So when you talk about that, and and so this is my question when I when I was reading those, is yeah, so, so debt is a lot of big thing. People want to escape debt. But I got the suspicion that it really wasn't the debt they were escaping. It was the people that they owed the debt to yeah. more than yeah. anything that they were escaping. It's not the fucking money. It's these assholes his, that are going to break their legs and kill them in the back. In the back. His, yeah. Or general, and not even assholes that break their legs. It's just fucking getting, that's their JP business. Morgan and Chase or something. Yeah. You yeah. owe yeah. $100,000 to. And his, you have this credit card company. You know, it's not like right. the mobsters. His general advice was basically like if you're running from like credit card debt or your mortgage or something, mm. it's going to, it's not worth trying to escape that because how expensive it is to actually disappear is like, uh, is so expensive that you might as well just sort your fucking shit out. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did he did have a couple stories about uh, helping people get away and uh, judging by the type of people that were after them, the only suitcase they took was full of someone else's money. 
was a line in here somewhere. Um, so he definitely did, to your point, Shane, help people escape nefarious char- characters that they may or may not have helped themselves to their money. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, absolutely. Yeah, and I guess I, I put the mobsters against it because, again, we're talking the 80s. And nowadays, you know, the the crooked of the crooks are the white-collar credit card people, right? Yeah. <laughs> but maybe not in the day, you know, it's something else. Well, yeah, and I mean, another thing to look at, too, is like it, co- it Frank charging thirty grand on average that was in the early or the early aughts up to like 2012 yeah yeah like think what's that inflation like like now inflation like Mm -hmm. i I would say it's probably closer to like 40 or 50 yeah no that that's absolutely amazing um we're going to continue a little bit on just the ins and outs of this we're going to take a quick commercial break everybody stand by believe in ufos Felt that chill up your spine that you just can't explain? Contemplate the other side of reality? Do you shake your head at the world that seems to have lost its common sense? Well, look no further than Strange Uncles. Find them on all podcast platforms and call their hotline to tell your side of reality at 801-252-6945. Open the gates. So uh, Skip Tracer, as defined by Frank Ahern, is a person who tracks people down and uncovers private info for a living. Targets include jailbirds, deadbeats, subpoenaed witnesses, and just about anyone else who's trying to hide. <laughs> I love how his personality comes out in his, in his Oh, writing. man. So it, it's, it, it was a really fun book, actually. Uh, I'm a get it back to you so you can have a chance to read it mm-hmm. it's a uh, really big print on really small pages um nice. but favorite. He, exactly uh but he every story he tells where he's like has to make a quick getaway from some kind of situation ends with him ducking into the nearest bar for three shots of tequila <laughs> <laughs> like everyone My guy that's awesome that yeah. rules um, yeah, and this dude's a pro, actually. Like, yep. you know, we talk about, you know, we're kind of joking about his appearance or whatever, but like, this dude knows how to track people, how to make people, dis- mm-hmm. you know, quote unquote, disappear. Like, this dude is smart and crafty, and like, he's he's a true professional for sure. Yeah, um, and he's been in the business forever. Like, I think it's basically what he did since like high school pretty mm-hmm. much like uh, there's a story in his book where he talks about how he's working for, uh, for, I, I can't remember exactly what the firm was. Um, I wish I'd written that down actually. Um, but they had a skip tracer in employ and he wanted to, t- he wanted to do that. And the, the boss of the company was like, all right, I'll tell you what, if you can uh, find my address by the end of the week, um, I'll fire the guy. And, uh, and you can be the skip tracer. And he was like, all right. And he came in the next morning and not only gave him his address, but like his wife's name, the school that his kids went to, like all of this (laughs) other crazy information. Yeah. And he just like put, put a couple pieces of paper down on the desk and was like, I want that job. And, uh, the boss called the skip tracer he had working for him into the office and was like, get the fuck out. Yeah. (laughs) You're done. done. (laughs) Yeah. That yeah, that's so yeah. 
That's so cool and also pretty creepy. That. Yeah, I mean that's kind of a shithead move. You know what I For mean? For sure. Like, but I mean, you gotta, you gotta. Job. But like you said, you, I mean, you gotta be kind of a little shady to kind of do this sort of thing and to kind of think that way. You know, you have to think in the underground and you know exactly think a little differently exactly so some of the things that have changed also uh from the 80s from doug richmond's era was uh is kind of societal changes so most of the anecdotal anecdotal stories in richmond's book are tales of oppressed husbands heroically escaping their obnoxious wives and leaving (laughs) them with nothing on the way out the door in in conjunction with that like to be honest this dude is a fucking pig like he ended his book with this awesome little paragraph and i quote in this age of loud and vocal minorities the disappearees in our midst and they are legion constitute a minority group that in every sense of the word are refreshing in that they aren't hollering for handouts howling about discrimination or complaining about their lack of opportunity. Jesus. And though in modern society, the problems of an adult with no paper background are manifold and pressing, these people calmly go about overcoming their problems unaided, alone, and with a complete absence of bitching. They fucking can't bitch, Doug. <laughs> their wives will find them. Dude. That's so fucking This insane. guy sounds like a real fucking piece Dude, of shit. Dude, like, I, I know I was texting you guys shit about this when I was reading it, but like... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but you never texted me that quote. Like that quote makes him sound like the biggest fucking asshole. Yeah, ever. And, and it also makes it sound like, oh my god, my wife's nagging. I guess I'll fucking just completely, yeah, change my i. Like, I think he he's like passing this off as some blase thing that fucking anyone can do, and you know, well, because in the eighties anyone could. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think so. I I, I think it still was fucking very difficult and yeah, easier, to, easier on a lot of, on a lot of regards, especially now how technologically advanced we've become. Mm-hmm. Uh, but well, everyone has a digital footprint. Now. Well, yeah, to do it yeah. successfully in the eighties, like you could get, it was pretty easy to get a driver's license or a passport or yeah. whatever in someone else's name. And the, and the good thing about that was uh, the more you renewed it and the more you used it, the more it, it, documented and established your false identity right yeah right um, i mean even pre 9-11 yeah yeah not even 80s but pre 9-11 yeah absolutely and i think you know more more of elbow grease trying to disappear and do something rather than everything's technical you, you know i think that's really you still had to jump through the hoops you still had to go through the right people and the right mm-hmm. organizations to try to get something done you know but there was yep. no so i shit i you know what your printout's going to have the little what do you call them the fucking dots on the end of the printer that like the dot matrix that's what we're looking at you know you can read that shit back in the day so and the shitty thing too about uh, that really annoyed me about Richmond's book, which I actually do recommend reading, just be prepared for him to be a fucking asshole. That douche. Um, is uh, it, it just struck me how hard it, it was for the people that were left behind by these fucking assholes. <laughs> because in the late 70s, early 80s, it was really hard for a married woman to be able to make any kind of like financial decision without her husband's consent. Um, mm-hmm. and actually like the first thing in the research that we did for this episode that I found about faking your own death mm-hmm. was, uh, these fucking dickheads that walked out on their families, uh, their wives declaring them dead 
or having them declared dead so that they could fucking sell some shit to pay the mortgage that they couldn't get out of. Right. Um, because they couldn't sell the house without their husband's consent. And he just walked off for a pack of smokes and never came back. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that was the thing, like these heroic assholes are just like, fuck you, bitch. I'm out. Well, and I think that's fun with the house. Yeah. And we're going to get into the, a bit about that, but that, that's really, I think what surprised me on this and, and we covered a little bit in the beginning is that we started with, oh, man, it would be fucking cool to figure out how to fake your own death. And I know that the book that I, which was Ahern, actually, uh, yeah. he had like one chapter on how to do it, and it was highly, highly not recommended how to do it. It really took away the whole fucking veil of <laughs> what I think we initially thought you know, yeah. that this was going to be. You know, Frank Ahern does not <clears throat> recommend faking your own death or disappearing at all. Like he's like, no, don't do this. Uh, but yeah, if you want like, to give me 30 grand and then we can talk. <laughs> and I'll help right. you out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But again, don't fucking do this. Uh, yeah. Um, because also there is a thing where faking your own death in itself isn't technically illegal. Right. True. It's but just, it usually it's very, it's very easy to cross that line. Like, yeah, faking your own death isn't illegal. So I did. No, I, it's the insurance it's, fraud it's that the, usually accompanies. Yeah, it. <laughs> it's like the tiny auxiliary crimes uh, that can get like a person in trouble. You know, like you blow up your house, you chop your fingers off, you leave your fingers behind. That's a crime. And if somehow right. they paid you out down the line, because realistically, everyone's committing insurance fraud, basically to do this. Mm-hmm. It's the whole point. That's a crime. So, like, once you fake your death, that's all crime. Disappearing, you don't really need to commit a crime. You just go away. Right. Yes. Right. And, in fact, uh, Ahern will tell us how to do that. And and he recommends uh, not even, like, changing your identity at all, actually. Just, uh-huh. like, yeah. well, not exactly. But, like, uh, keeping your same name, uh, social security number. He just recommends making yourself extremely hard to find. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But, which I, I think oh, this kind of oh, go ahead. I was going to say we're about. I think we're about. That's what actually titillated me the most was when when he talked about that because it's something so simple when he talks about doing and and we're going to get into this kind of unfolded. But you know when you call the utility companies and you do these things and it's mm-hmm. your name is one letter off and you know it's all a very intricate. Like I said it's, it's more elbow grease than it is anything, and you can still do that today. Um, and, and again, you know, we'll, we'll kind of get into it, but that, that fascinated me, you know, when you talk about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the mechanics of it are pretty fascinating. Um, so that brings us also to what has stayed the same. So, uh, obviously use cash whenever possible. Mm-hmm. Um, leave old hobbies and passions with your old life. Uh, so if you are going to like try to change your identity to stay off whatever you're running from's radar, then you you can't keep having home and garden sent to your new address. Cause they'll just find you. Yeah. Or you like, <laughs> always, you always go to the rec center and play pickup ball. Like, yeah. You got no longer, play, you no longer, you no longer yeah. ball player. Yeah. Sorry. No yeah, yeah. You don't go to the same hobby shop you used to go to, you mm-hmm. know, you know, it's just one of those things, you know, you're, and I think that's, it's funny because, you know, that's from what I read on that book is that's where a lot of people fail because they don't leave hobbies. Fuck you over. They mm-hmm. don't leave that, and they really—that's the fucking clutch that nobody really thinks about. 
Yeah, he he terms it uh, your passions become your pitfalls. Mm-hmm. Um, also, a real identity. If you need to assume another identity, a real identity is better than a fake one. Excuse me. Uh, forged or stolen papers are a no-no. Like, it's not worth it. You don't know if they're forged or stolen. Like, if the forger made, like, nine passports in the name of John Smith and you're going to end up showing up at the airport with nine other John Smiths, right? Yeah. Um, Also, there are so many markings on uh, modern ID that get scanned that um, you have no idea if if they work until you try to scan them, and that's just not a real great position to put yourself in if you're trying to be uh, unnoticed. Um, also don't leave a paper trail. Um, what we're going to get into in a minute, uh, the mechanics of everything is all about cleaning up the paper trail you've left just from living your life up until the point you decide it's time to, to disappear. Um, go by your first name or something close. Uh, this avoids weirdness. If you happen to run into someone from your old life or, uh, space out and don't hear someone call you by your new first name, which would (laughs) definitely happen to me. Hey, Um, it would happen to everybody on like the, (laughs) On just the random day where you're like daydreaming about, yep, fucking big butts in your face. Yep, not paying attention. Like, yeah, yeah, Steve. So fifteen Steve, times every thirty Steve. seconds. Yeah. yeah, and you're just like, what? Oh fuck! I'm <laughs> Steve. Fuck I'm Steve. Steve. Oh yeah. shit, oh, that's me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yes, I'm Steve. I'm Steve. Hello. Yes. Uh, following Frank Ahern's more modern advice, you would pretty much keep your whole name altogether. You wouldn't even change your last name. Mm-hmm. Um. Richmond recommended growing a beard or shaving if you already have one. Same with wearing glasses or gaining or losing weight, uh, changing hairstyles, etc. Just basically like your face, your voice, and your gait are the three most uh, easily identifiable traits to people who know you. Um, So you want to obscure those as much as possible. Wear glasses if you didn't before get contacts if you wore glasses before, stuff like that. Shave if you've always had a beard. Yep. Yeah. Like just yeah. like whatever you're doing now, do the exact fucking opposite. Yeah. Yep. And you know what? And this fun- is oh. this is definitely something to con- to keep in mind if you're trying to hide from people, especially if it's people you know, like a stalker, or uh, you know, if you're changing your identity completely and you want everyone to think that, eh, whatever happened to that guy? You know. Yeah. Um. Sorry. Go ahead. No, uh, so- it's just. Well, I was going to say too. What what really surprised me about this whole thing is that the name change. Like you would think, and I guess really the reality is people think the world really is this spy thriller. Like it's Mission Impossible. You're going to change your name. You're going to have these cards. You're going to have this. When in reality, you know, he's saying no. That's not necessarily the case. Keep your same shit. That's okay. So mm-hmm. that was some of the first things that when we were doing this research on this, that kind of took some of the glamour away. It's like, oh, wait a minute. You know, you're not now. We don't have to do this. We don't have to do this. Yeah. yeah. That's well, it, a little bit different. You know, if you I do have about, a tip. Oh, go, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, if you think about like the spy movies, like, like the Bourne movies and stuff where they have like safety deposit boxes full of like 19 different passports and everything. Like, first of all, it's a movie. And second of all, uh, if you were a government agent that did have all of this uh, different issued identification um that would be government faked shit which would be a lot 
more reliable than buying stuff off some dude in a back alley, you know? Yeah. Yeah. If the CIA is giving you a passport, like that's way better than. Yeah. It's probably going to work. Fucking Michael in a back alley. uh, Yeah, Yeah. exactly. What was that? National Lampoon's uh, Vegas vacation. Oh, your name's this. You're you're, uh, Pompanelli, where the hell his name was. (laughs) And it turned out it was a black guy. (laughs) It didn't even do the ID the same way. So yeah, it's something. Yeah. Yeah. It just, Uh, I I, I thought that was was, funny. uh, What was the tidbit you had, John? Um, oh shit. Well, I kind of forgot actually my, my brain went, but, uh, there, oh yeah. We were talking about how it's like super mundane and like not as sexy. Uh, but I do have a story that is going to come up later where, uh, it is pretty sexy and he ends up living kind of the, like the man of mystery life for a time. For a reason we know about the story is because obviously he didn't do it forever <laughs> and if it's the story i'm thinking of uh also like gate was one of the things that he changed and when i read this in richmond's book i didn't fucking believe it for a minute but it's like uh just in case anyone's having a problem with my pronunciation um the gate is like the way you walk um yeah. which i'd never really thought about as being super recognizable until like uh pre-pandemic i was walking down the hall at the office building at work and a coworker was like way back from me and she just yelled stole. And I was like, what? Yep. And yep. she was like, Oh, I knew that was you. Cause, cause of your gate. And I was like, do I fucking walk funny? So, so can I throw another story in here? When I <laughs> yeah. first met my wife, Please do. we're in Leavenworth, we're partying and I just met her brothers and we're all doing our thing. And I said, Hey, I'll get up. I'll get us beers. And I went up and I got us beers. And I came back. And one of her brothers whispered to, and she told me this after the fact. Look at him; it's like he has his own theme song in his head when he's walking. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's that's fucking great! <laughs> so, wow, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, asshole, great. I'm gonna marry your sister. So, yeah. Also, I'm uh, banging your sister. <laughs> yeah, I do have my own theme song. It's called fucking. I don't know. I fuck, your own, I fuck your sister. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, Eddie Hook. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I think now would be probably a good time to get into the mechanics of how to disappear. Um, oh, yeah. Speaking of one of the main mechanics that is still highly recommended is to use mail drops, uh, mm. which are basically addresses and mail forwarding services. Um to obscure your real location, which is actually, I thought it was kind of some spy shit. Um, it's basically like a sleazy UPS store and like having a <laughs> right. PO box that poses as a real, uh, real address or office building or whatever you need it to be. Um, I don't know if they, they still do this, but in Richmond's book in the eighties, he recommends hiring secretarial services Um because they'll just like say, Oh, the offices of whoever. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, so you can basically, and they'll say they're where, wherever you want them to say you're from. So you can obscure your location. Yeah. So it detaches that. Yeah. Right. And, um, Ahern talks about setting up corporations, like fake corporations basically. And this is especially important if you're trying to hide like from a stalker or, ex-business partner or whatever to uh have your all your utilities and your new rent and everything 
set up under the corporation. So nothing's like actually in your name, which makes you a lot harder to find. Yeah. Well, and you know yeah. what? To, to bring it back to real life world, you know, that's really, you know, you look at LLCs. That's kind of why they exist. It's very simple to do, but, you know, it, it buys the pressure off a person, you know, for whatever that may be. I mean, that's what we are. So, you know, it's not anything necessarily underhanded, but, you know, that's kind of the same premise. You know, so you can shift it from here to to here, you know, so the liability is weighing somewhere else. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you like, like that's the whole point of uh, the Panama Papers was just there was a law firm down in Panama that was setting up shell corporations for fucking rich people like left and right. But yeah, Frank Ahern is like also all about leaving like Easter eggs that aren't real. Mm-hmm. Like he's all about right. like throwing right. you off because like you're disappearing. So you want to keep your real name. You want to do this because it's the easiest way to disappear. And so if anybody tries to find you, he just tries to make it really, really fucking hard mm-hmm. to actually find out where you are. And um, he actually has a few steps to, to actually disappearing. So say you're a woman and you have a stalker and we all know how horrible stalkers can just, they can ruin people's yep. lives. I've got, awful. I've got five. It's fucking. <laughs> yeah. But the first step he says is misinformation. So that means like destroying any information available from closing bank phone accounts, um, removing your name from online databases. Um, and then when F- Frank Ahern is, uh, you know, helping a client, We'll say um, then he creates disinformation or like basically false leads to throw off any pursuer that might be pursuing this person. Like, so basically it's like, so if you have a waitress and she's preparing, uh, so if the waitress is preparing to Kansas in February, Ahern starts diverting and traceable leads to Chicago in January. So right. she's she's trying to get yep. to she, she, her goal is to go to Kansas. So as soon as you know, okay, we're going to go to Kansas. All the leads are going to go to Chicago. Uh, she'll place calls to realtors, utility companies, restaurants, and it's basically like the first thing you do if you're going to find somebody in this digital age. One of the first things you do is just check their phone records. Yeah. Yeah, whatever's you know? recent, whatever's new. So if all if there's tons of calls to Chicago, I mean, immediately your interest is going to be in Chicago. And that is, you know, and also don't make any fucking calls to um, Kansas as well. Like, right. You don't want anything leading you there. And uh, so, and also she has enough money. She can travel to Chicago and actually set up these, you know, she can go look at apartments. She can go do this and that. Um, and like, if like a skip tracer, like himself brings up her credit report, he'll see inquiries like from a Chicago realtor. Mm -hmm. Right. So, uh, like the misinformation part of it is, is you call your current, uh, like erasing your past basically. Right. So you, Mm -hmm. you call your current cable company, your current phone company, whatever you close everything. Yeah. And you say, but you also say, uh, Hey, I think you guys have my name misspelled. Can you 
can you read me back the spelling? And then right. they read you your name and you're like, oh no, it's actually S-T-A-H-L. Mm-hmm. Like just to obscure that data for them, like starting before you even start with the disinformation. Uh-huh. Like just to obscure, make it hard to find you now. Well, yeah, and, that's that's exactly it. You go from misinformation to dis right. disinformation. Uh, in his book, he talks about sending a, a woman to Ypsilanti, Michigan, home of Domino's Pizza, um, to uh, scout an apartment, get utilities put put in the name, or sorry, utilities set up at the apartment, cable set up at the apartment, all this stuff. Um, she makes phone calls to her family from there. They make inquiries about apartments and restaurants and stuff in the area. Yep. Um, all the while she has no intention of moving there. She just never tells the realtor she's not going to take the apartment. So, mm-hmm. and then she ends up actually one of the rare cheap things in Frank's method is because the services never actually get completed because no one's there to let the utility companies into the apartment. Uh, she doesn't have to pay for those. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, he also recommends burner phones, like tons and tons I, of I was burner phones. Say, yep. Yeah, I was um, kind of so. Yeah, he actually has like kind of three steps, basically. And yeah, yeah, burner phones are is one, but yeah, once the misinformation and dis- disinformation are all set up, it's basically go time, and you basically grab your bag that you're going with. And say you're going to Kansas, you purchase a bus ticket to Chicago with a credit card. Then you buy a bus ticket with cash, go mm-hmm. to Kansas, mm-hmm. you know, just make sure you, it's all about disinformation at that point. Yeah. Then, like leave the credit card you bought the ticket with on the bus so someone can find it and spend money on it when they get to Chicago. Yep. And then once you're finally, once that is all, once that's happened and you start like the off grid life. Yeah. So, and yeah. And he, and he says like you pay your rent, pay your bills from an LLC. And he says, you can't be a regular employee, a licensed professional, like an accountant or a nurse, but you can work off the books as a waitress, graphic designer, or house cleaner and claim the cash you make. Um, says I would never tell anyone not to claim their cash. He adds with a smile. That would be un-American. that's funny and also how you were saying with uh keeping in contact with ones you love say you are a stalker and you're or you're being stalked you're not trying to get away from debtors or anything but you're like it's kind of like a life or death situation yeah um this is a really clever way to keep in touch with loved ones and it's super born identity kind of thing i think i know what you're talking about i'm pumped for this but it's like <laughs> to keep in touch with loved ones left behind Frank devised codes in the form of Craigslist postings and classified ads. If mom wants to find you, all she needs to do is look up 1974 Cadillac Seville with white wall tires and switch the last two digits of the phone number in the ad to call your prepaid cell phone. Some of his clients corresponded by using a single email account with each user having the password and not sending their messages, but saving them as drafts so that no electronic trail could be recovered. Other clients did the same with unpublished blogs. That's some crazy shit right there. I mean, think yeah. about that. 
like that's, that's uh, some actual spy shit that's yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. cool like that's oh, fucking yeah. pretty badass like that is <laughs> absolutely pretty incredible so here's some things too in layman's terms you know when we did when we you know we talk about that there is just to clarify a difference between misinformation and disinformation and one of the reasons for disinformation is you're looking at you know number one time and patience so you have somebody that wants to find you or whatever have you. You're already chasing them down this trail that doesn't exist and it's not going to exist. So there's your time right there. And then mm-hmm. the patience is hopefully, you know, they're they're going to run in that dead end and they're going to say, oh, you know what, fuck this. This isn't really going anywhere. Anybody, you know, hopefully they don't have ambition. So those factors kind of play into that and that's kind of where that, that disinformation right in. so the misinformation part of the escape plan is free it's just tedious oh, yeah. and time consuming absolutely the disinformation part is not free nope yeah nope and that's uh, where and that's where all the elbow grease comes into because you really gotta fucking huff it and make sure that you cover your bases the right way in the right time he that's also tough. recommends that like as you're setting up the disinformation um that like if you're applying for an apartment or a job or whatever um, where you need to give a phone number that you give the phone number to uh, like local woman's shelter or like uh, the local police precinct. Um, because if the skip tracer or private investigator that's been hired to find you is not a scumbag, they'll start being like, how come this dude that hired me to find his missing cousin or whatever story he got told by the stalker that hired him. Um, how come every time I call a number that she left, it goes to like a battered women's shelter, you know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. And right. so that people yep. will like, if, if they have any decent morals, they'll just, they'll be like, ah, eh, fuck that and quit. Um, and also the point of the misinformation is to frustrate the, uh, skip tracers and PIs and to waste their time, which is very expensive for whoever hired them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, because so I think you, th- that's you think cool. about that. You think about how much money it takes to, I mean, Jesus, I paid $5,000 for a week for a court lies on to go to Chicago and interview an ex-wife. I didn't like, so I could get custody of my kid. I mean, everything is money. So, yeah. you know, that shit adds up really, especially when you're doing lawyers, investigators, everything else. I mean, that, that's and- just costly. Yeah, well, and another and another way to look at this, if you know, if you're not a battered woman or something like that, but you are trying to live a new life, yeah, and, or even just a more private life where you're at, yep, um, is there are death kits? So if you go uh-huh. to a third world country and you die in a third world country. It takes a lot of money for an investigator or an insurance company to go over there. And insurance companies will fly out to mm-hmm. these third world countries and oh, have yeah. PIs investigate for them. But once they figure out that that person is not deceased and the PI figures it all out, then they can take that information back to insurance companies. And sometimes the insurance companies will say it's just not even worth it. And also the police investigators, once it gets into the law, like, yeah, okay. They'll put a warrant out for their arrest in America, but if they're in Indonesia or Singapore or just any like far off uh, foreign soil, yeah, it's somewhere like, without an extradition treaty, preferably. Yeah, yeah, you're, you know, you're gonna be 
you're going to be just fine. And there's these things called death kits in third world countries. Um, and it's basically like for a few hundred bucks, because this is like generally in third world countries, um, a death kit includes a copy of the fake death certificate, a burial permit, photographs of the actual burial plot, and they they'll make a video of the funeral mass of people crying and wailing and the funeral procession down the street. And they're basically just performing the ceremony, man. Can I have that? That's for Christmas? fucking awesome. I yeah. want that for Christmas. <laughs> That's awesome. I would love that. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, it, it's this one guy says it's a shell corporation for fraud. That yeah. sounds way more right. savory than what, uh, Ahern recommended. If you absolutely, had to assume someone else's identity, which was to like go to a country in abject poverty or even a region of the United States in abject poverty yep. and pay an extremely poor person, a couple grand a year to use their identity. Mm. Um, like, I mean, a couple grand a year for someone who's in abject poverty can be like life changing, but that's just so fucking exploitative. And also, it kind of violates yeah. one of Frank's rules about not assuming an identity because abject poverty is one of the main drivers of crime. Mm-hmm. So like not wanting to assume an identity with a criminal history, if you are giving someone a couple thousand dollars a year in that, I mean, there's a good chance they're going to end up turning to a life of crime at some point. So yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Well, and this, yeah. you know, this brings up a point. And you guys said that one of the things that you shouldn't do is assume the identity of a young child that has died, basically, right, right. or mm-hmm. a baby yep. that has died. Yep. Um, but I have a story about, they call him the canoe man, which that's exactly what he did. And so I think we should take a break and then I will get into that story. Fantastic. Yeah. Everybody stand by. Follow Strange Uncles down the rabbit hole of the wild and bizarre as they uncover history that shouldn't be talked about, topics that don't fit into the norm, and conspiracies that sometimes run amok. Find our website at mystrangeuncles.com, follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Strange Uncles, or check out our YouTube channel, Strange Uncles Podcast, where we're adding new content every week. Open the gates. All right, so a really famous case about somebody disappearing and actually faking their own death is it's a famous case and it's usually referred to as the canoe man. And basically this guy named John Darwin, he he was 51 at the time and the way he was going to do this is he was going to take a red kayak or canoe out onto onto the ocean and he was going to go sailing and disappear like that he was going to fake his own death he was going to leave a shoe out of the way going to leave a shoe he wasn't going to he wasn't going to show up for work that night so the night he disappeared he had a shift he was a prison guard at this prison in england uh the home house prison in Stockton on Tees, which is the weirdest fucking name for a place. <laughs> on, it, he had it at Stockton to Malone in, in the great UK. Yeah. So I'm going to give you kind of the details of the basic story and then kind of go into 
into all of that, but he had his wife in on the whole thing. And what he did is he took a canoe out. He made sure there were some people that saw him and he went out about four in the afternoon. And this was uh, March 21st, 2002. Right. So still gets dark early. So it's still getting dark early. So he took it like out right before it was getting dark. So people could verify like, yeah, I did see him canoeing. And it got dark and he rode up to this shore, the shoreline, this kind of secluded. So he started out in a place where he could be seen and then he kind of crash landed into a place where it was fairly secluded and he left behind a shoe. And as he left behind his shoe, he, he got all of his things he got all of his things. So in the canoe, sorry, let me back up. In the canoe, he had uh, he he had like a couple shirts, a couple sweaters, yeah, uh, a few changes of clothes. Yeah, he but, was prepared, right? Yeah, yeah. But so he didn't show up for work that that uh, that evening, and they ended up calling Anne, his wife, which was in on it, and they're like, "Hey, have you seen him?" And I guess she was pretty stressed out, and she's like, "I." Uh, I haven't seen him like I haven't, I seen, haven't him seen the cunt all day. <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden a search started, uh, was formed. And about 16 hours after extensive searching, all they found was a paddle and rescuers also noted that the waters weren't particularly rough that day. And also John or John and Anne had two grown sons, Mark, who was 26 at the time, and Anthony, who was 24, when uh, their father disappeared. And the crazy thing about this story is for most of his time that he was disappeared, he was in his family home just upstairs. Yeah, didn't they have like a like a duplex or something, basically? Yeah, and like right, one side right. of it was like a boarding house? Mm-hmm. So they actually owned their kind of idea because they came, they didn't come from money. They were pretty poor. Um, they were kind of just lived the average life, but they started getting into real estate and buying up properties and they found perfect properties and they were in this one duplex where they lived. And then they had a bunch of rooms that they rented out. And one of the big factors in John being successful in this was his partner, Anne, which even Frank Ahern says, like, don't do cut all ties. But Anne was like, Anne was John's rock. And until um, she wasn't, um, you know, she was his rock until the, the very end, actually. Uh, so the Darwin's owned like 14 rental properties, but they weren't generating any income because the tenants of these buildings were like poor, sometimes didn't pay mm-hmm. their rent. Like it, it, they didn't come from like the most like illustrious, like right. area. So like, and probably they weren't charging a much more than a, they a owed lot. if they right. were renting mm-hmm. to poor people. Right. Yeah. So essentially, so essentially this dude goes out on a canoe, fakes his death, disappears and turns himself in seven years later. But one of the reasons that John did it, like he had a boiling point and he, 
he was starting to get backed up on all of these bills that he owed with all of these rental properties because he, they weren't generating enough revenue. But there was actually a credit card bill that had been being sent to him for months, but he had just barely moved into this new duplex. And for some reason, that bill wasn't being sent to him. It wasn't being forwarded correctly. And so it was just like out of sight, out of mind. Mm-hmm. And once that bill finally did reach him, they were like, we need 5,000 pounds right now, or we are going to take legal action and he would just end up losing everything. And according to John, he also couldn't claim bankruptcy because of the type of loans that he had taken out on all the properties. Um, and a lot of people dispute that. They're like, well, no, there's renter's rights. We wouldn't be able to kick out those people just because your landlord is a piece of shit. Right. But he still might not be able to claim bankruptcy. Yeah, right. Like if yeah. it was like a HUD loan or something, yeah. you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I mean, it's England, so I don't know what they're, what they would have, but yeah, I'm not really sure. But like, according to John, he says he wasn't able to just claim bankruptcy. Well, I mean, he did fake his death. He is totally trustworthy, right? We should, yeah. <laughs> we should yeah, take of his course. word. But yeah, so on the day he decided to carry out his plan, he packed his red kayak with a plastic bag with a change of clothes, two shirts, a sweater, socks, underwear, two long sleeve shirts, a money belt containing just over 150 pounds, a flashlight, matches, and a pair of sunglasses. So like I said, he set out for the beach around four and, you know, it would be dark soon, like I said. And he left. He did leave one sneaker behind to be found by rescuers, but I guess they only found the paddle. And he waited a few hours for Ann to come pick him up. And while Ann was picking him up, that's when his work called. And so she didn't really need to act nervous. No, oh, because she was. Because she was she, nervous. She was in the <laughs> middle of committing a crime. Right. Yeah, she's like, uh. <laughs> and the very first thing they did is she drove him to the Durham station about 20 miles North of where they were, because he knew the police would look where the local train stations and were like, at first they would look at all the local spots because they all had Mm -hmm. CCTVs and they could all see him hopping on a train or whatever. Well, and that makes sense, right? Like if like, easiest way to get out of town if you faked your own death because they they probably would assume that the wife wasn't in on it or that she was but either way they would look easiest place first either way they're going to start from the easiest place and then move on from that so he had and drive him 20 miles north to the durham train station and while the authorities were investigating john's disappearance he basically just camped out on the shores of sloth on the west coast of england for nearly two months and Damn. and he says that while he was there, he told people he was from York because the accents would be similar and like they would, you you know, if he was from the South and he's like, I'm from York. Yeah. You know, it's it like, it's like somebody straight from the backwoods of Alabama being like, I'm, I'm from, from New yeah. York. I'm, I'm from, from LA. I'm from Maine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Los Angeles, born and raised. What's it to you? <laughs> um, and he also, so he said he was from York and he was an ornithologist working his way down the coast. Oh, Jesus. And just basically, he was just like, everyone would believe that. Like, there's no reason why people wouldn't. And so he says camping out and his quote unquote living rough, as John describes, also was uh, for his new disguise to fully form. So he grew a long white beard, lost weight, 
got dark tinted glasses and he began to walk with a limp and a walking stick. So all of those things that we said, you know, change your identity, change your gait. It's so fucking hard to fake a limp without like putting something in your shoe or something that's really going to oh, fuck absolutely. your knee up. Oh, it is. I yeah, just yeah. watched where the limp is real. Yeah. I just watched this movie with uh, Aaron Eckhart and Tommy Lee Jones and Aaron Eckhart has a limp in the movie. But sometimes he doesn't have a limp in the movie. And it's, <laughs> it really takes you out of it. Like, all of a sudden, he's fucking sprinting down the road. And you're like, so the limp doesn't matter when you're running? You're not a method actor, are you, Daniel Day? He's just, okay. he's just not good at, at uh, yeah, it only, it, I don't know. I got to go. Yeah. So when Anne came and picked him up a couple months, like literally a couple months later, I guess his disguise was so good that she, like, went right by him. Oh, she didn't oh, recognize she, him. She was like, mm, oh, shit. Yeah, and then, he, you know, he's like, Anne, Anne, Anne. Oh, there's me death cunt husband. Oi, mister, you me dad. <laughs> just kidding. Sorry for any English people if they're listening. I'm just fucking around. Um, but so his disguise was actually really good once and picked him up. Then... And drives him back to the town that they're from, drops him off a mile away, and he walks into their duplex that has a, a some a few rooms to rent. He walks in straight through the front door, and Anne is talking to another tenant of the of the duplex, and they're like, "Oh, is that a new tenant?" She's like, "Yeah, that's yeah, that's the new tenant." And his name was. His name was uh, uh-huh. whatever the Fight Club name was. I'm just kidding. <laughs> was his, name Carl, Carl, his name was Robert Paulson. His name was Robert Paulson. <laughs> uh, he, he was going by the name uh, Carl Fenwick, and that was like his assumed identity. And he would later take uh, another identity, but for years, Carl Fenwick was one of his identities. And he was, the, he was just a, one of the tenants in the house. Wow. And he would intermittently live in that property for the next five years and sleep in the same bed as his wife. And he was able to do this because it was an old house and there were different corridors and stairways that like connected rooms and properties. Yeah. 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 And so like he literally like his sons thought he was dead. His partner played it perfectly. Um, there was one problem that John encountered though. And so, I mean, he is a missing slash deceased person possibly. So there was always police investigators, um, reporters, family members coming and going. Yeah. And so he says he devised a plan in like two minutes. He's like, it just came to him. So he devised a plan for Anne to let him know if the coast was clear or not by hanging the uh, parlor curtain straight down, which meant, not to come home and if they were tied back that meant the coast was clear because oh. john was going out into his regular day like yeah, where where he was from he was walking what the he fuck? Was go, like he was living his life just, yeah he was like befriending librarians and shit yeah and actually <laughs> i will i'll get into that uh pretty close but yeah um also while he was out and about one day he says he walked past his dad and brother and they just walked right by him. That's fucking nuts. Like they didn't say one little thing. Well, they, they probably with a, his disguise. Good model, sir. 
or his beard mm-hmm. and everything else he had. Grown. Like I mean, he says, he know. didn't even. They didn't even give him one glance. Like, wow. huh? That was that guy looked like John Dart. You know, like that looked like my son. And he said he walked right by his dad and brother, hmm. which is crazy. And so the story goes. You know, it's been it's been a few months, and there's just been detectives and reporters and relatives. Like I said, like they're still poking around. John decided to create a new identity and it took him almost six months to craft an identity from scratch and gather like all the necessary paperwork. Um, And it's funny when John turned himself in, the detectives asked how he got a passport and he just replied, I went to the post office and asked how to get one. (laughs) (laughs) Nice Nice and plain Jane. That's nice. So basically for him to create a new identity from scratch, the first thing he needed was a name. So he found the name John Jones in the genealogy department of the Morpeth library. John Jones was born in 1950, same as Darwin. So he had it there and John Jones actually died as an infant. Mm. So that kind of goes against some of the things we were talking about. Yeah. Um, but same year of birth, and this was in t- fuck. When did I say early two thousands? Um, yeah, it was like pre nine eleven, right? Or not too long after? Yeah, it, it was. It was right after two thousand two, March twenty first, two thousand two. I think. Um, so then he went to the Sunderland's record office and retrieved Jones' birth certificate. So after he found this guy in the genealogy thing, he went got that person birth certificate and that's all he needed to do to file for his passport was the birth certificate jesus and the next step was finding a landlord to verify his address so he printed out one of his own tenant agreements because he was a landlord after all and he signed it john darwin (laughs) landlords are assholes (laughs) he literally signed he literally signed his own name on his own tenant agreement right and backdated it i'm sure yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. As, as one does. Yeah. And he also needed an official to sign, uh, an official person to sign off on on his identity. Um, in the UK, the signature like of a teacher or a librarian is sufficient. So John would John would go to the library every day and just talk to the local librarian, like talk about the weather, um, just you know whatever light chit chat that you can make with a librarian until she finally trusts this random person that she's talking to that she knows is John Jones. And she eventually signed off on that. And within six months, John had an official UK passport. That's insane. Of course he did. Yeah. And after he turned himself in, in 2007, lawmakers on the floor of parliament actually referenced the ease in which John obtained a passport as evidence of poor post nine 11 security. But so, so once, once the passport was obtained, uh, he began, like he started going to America for like month long trips and talking to women and women. So he said that he could get a flight to America for 99 pounds, which is insane. Yeah. And And once he was there, women, the women he was talking to would just pay for everything. Let him stay there. And he would tell Anne that he would uh, just like talk to a cabbie and like eventually the cabbie would just like let him 
stay at his house, which is like the worst part of his lie that he's done. I'm like, damn, man, you're a little, uh, I, I don't know how you believe that one. That was quite the yarn. Yeah. And come on. Uh, so you're in Anne the middle had, of fraud. You yeah, should know. Better. And yeah. And had no idea about these other women. There was like another woman that had no idea that, uh, John was married. um, and she wanted to marry John, but like, he was just always like, no, because one of the things is you should always be able to cut ties immediately with anybody. And, um, also despite him going to the States by himself and fucking around and everything, he also, him and Ann also like jet setted around the world, like taking multiple vacations, like going to Greece, Cyprus, oh, Spain. Why wouldn't you? Right. Yeah. So like they she definitely enjoyed that as well. Like Anne would always go a little bit ahead of him at the airport just in case some trouble happened. Um, but there never was any. Like his disguise was just perfect. That is crazy. So the the question is how long did this last? Seven years, my dude. Seven years. Mm. Well, uh let's talk about uh the details about what they did in Panama. Cause I think that's where it gets like really interesting. Yes. And now on to Panama, but we are going to continue this story on our Patreon page. Um, so anybody that is a Patreon can easily listen to it there. Um, we've kind of gone over our time, so we're going to close the gates on this one and take it on over. Absolutely. Yeah. So we'll finish that story. And for Patreon members, we have other stories too afterwards that uh, we continued with the John and Josh did. And you can follow that there. But for regular listeners, sorry, you know, at least we explained the basis of how to disappear, at least in most, how to raise your digital footprint. You know, the old time versus new time. A very fun episode, I thought. And, you know, again, guys, thank you so much for the research on that. Um, you, If you have a disappearing story, <laughs> you can write us at 801-252-69. Oh, disappear. <laughs> 45. We'll you keep can, it secret. We'll keep it safe. Yeah, right. We'll whisper in your slowly. <laughs> yeah. Or you can write us at strangejungles at gmail.com. Let us know. Let us know what you guys have or anything else weird, um, and we will go from there. So you can find yeah. us on all pop- podcast platforms and then social. Josh, sorry. Yeah, find us. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Uh, you can follow us at Strange Uncles Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, uh, at Strange Uncles on Twitter, uh, our website, mystrangeuncles.com. Um, also, find us on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Strange Uncles for the rest of this episode. And uh, it's a good one. It's going to get some, we're, we've got some more fun stories to tell. Absolutely. Uh, also, tons more bonus content. Yep. So enjoy. Close the gates, everybody. Patreon members, stand by.